yo, I can't tell you how much I love to wait for a track to come in. <laughs> Makes you feel like I'm about to drop a hot 16 or something. <laughs> nah, not anymore. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Urban Epiphany Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Soye. Again, welcome, welcome, welcome. Had to take a little break. Had to deal with some life things. Like I'm sure any of you can relate. But we're here, so let's have a little fun. Um, I'd like to start off by saying, doesn't it feel a little bit calmer? Like, doesn't the air just feel regular? Don't you feel regular? You're not too nervous. You're not too anxious. You know, you're kind of just existing again. Um, not going to fully reference why. I think we all know that at this point in time. But I just think it's refreshing to not feel like the world is going to come to an end every given day via tweet. So I'm going to leave that there. Um, what I will say is that in response to what happened this past election, this past January, what's going on is pretty much what I said what was going to happen. They were going to come for your voting rights. And they're doing it in about 43 states out of 50, which is wild, but not unexpected. And those voting restrictions that they're trying to pass into law, some of which are law, especially in the state of Georgia now, they're mostly affecting, you know, they're affecting black and brown people, um, especially those restrictive voter ID laws. Um, now, there's some people that, that, that are sitting there saying, well, you know, uh, I think I need IDs. Nothing wrong with ID. We have driver's licenses and things. Yeah, I get it. But the difference between the two is that you have people who are so old that they're from times where the record keeping was not up to par. So they might not have readily available birth certificates to help vouch for their identity anymore. You know, those hospitals may have closed. Whatever repositories of information might have been closed. Those things might have been destroyed. And so now that it requires them to have special types of ID to vote, they won't be able to. So they have in effect been disenfranchised when they shouldn't have been. So it's things like that that we need to look out for and that we need to keep fighting for. Because um, at the end of the day, especially with the Republican Party, and it's been documented very clearly that their ideology is that the less people that vote, the more that they win. Because in actuality, the core tenets of what they believe are not that popular. So there are less people that believe in them. Which is why they have all the tactics that they pull, the gerrymandering and things of that nature. You know, uh, forcing in, pushing in, skating in tons of federal judges. Um, because they couldn't do that fairly in any other circumstance. Is what it is. But I just want y'all to be aware, be vigilant in your communities if you see it happening call who you need to call see who you need to see voice your opinions voice your cares to your respective representatives and let's try to stop some of this because it's not a good look 
for any of us if this all goes down the way that they're trying to make it go down. That being said, I want to get into the meat of this episode. Now, if you saw the thumbnail, you pretty much know the direction I'm going to go in eventually, but we're not going to start there. The first place I want to start is women's collegiate and professional sports. There's a reason I'm starting that. Now, if you haven't been living under a rock, you would have been aware of a video that was posted at the beginning of the NCAA Women's Tournament that showed the disparity between weight room facilities for the men and the women. Now, on the men's side, there is a giant sprawling space, benches, squat racks, areas for deadlift, tons of different dumbbells and free weights, like the gym of gyms, if you want to call it that. That's what they had. Right, rightfully so. They're, they're, see that we call them collegiate athletes. Yo, they're, they're like level two professional athletes. That's what they are, right? Same goes for the women. But on the women's side, the video showed what seemed like a small room with some yoga mats or what they called stretching mats. Same thing in my opinion. And a dumbbell rack that they that it, that looks like you used it for jazzercise. And yeah, I'm dating myself. If you don't know what jazzercise is, Google it. It's wild. That is what it is. Whole lot of spandex in that. Again, if you don't know what spandex is, if you don't know what spandex is, I'm talking wild too. Google that. Um, so that was the case with the women's weight room and fitness facilities during their NCAA tournament. And this isn't the first time that we've seen disproportionate accommodations for women, professional women, as opposed to their male counterparts. Um, when I saw this video, it brought me back to when the United States women's national soccer team was complaining during their World Cup about the type of fields they were forced to play on. They were forced to play on AstroTurf, which the men were not. The men were playing on field turf, I believe. Either field turf or grass, but I'm pretty sure it was field turf. Um, if you grew up in the early mid-90s to early 2000s and played any type of outdoor sport like football or soccer, you know what AstroTurf is. And it's the bane of your existence. AstroTurf is pretty much carpet with a slab of concrete underneath it. No cushioning, no nothing. It gets wildly hot in the summer. It retains heat. It's so rough that if you slide against it, it will rip the skin off your body. Right? It's bad for your knees. And this is what they wanted professional level elite athletes to play on now. After knowing what they know, this is what they were giving them. Second, third tier accommodations. And so they erupted in disapproval, dissatisfaction, as they should. I wouldn't stand for that either if I knew that the other people out here playing on comfortable fear turf cushion and their skin's going to be intact, everything's going to be nice for them. No, that's not how we're going to do that. 
So I completely agree with them and I'm on their side. So as we know, there has been a history of disproportionate conditions for women as far as as far as athletics, excuse me, is concerned. Say that three times fast, I dare you. Um and usually we come to that conclusion that oh, you know, men just think less of women in sports. They just feel like they can't do or can't perform the same as men can. And there are parts of that ideology for some men that are true. I will not deny that. But it brought me to the other aspect of that conversation. Right? Because for me a lot of things lately have come down to dollars. It's it's always come down to the money for me. And it, in my mind, it, it begs the question, all right, if the money that the people who write the checks get is the same from each group, then why would each group's situation be different? Right? Because people always want to find a reason to keep you from having some things that you think you should have. Look it up. That is just the way of the world these days. If someone doesn't believe you should have something, the first place they look at is money. They'll either put money into it, take money away, or see how much money you're taking away from them to validate them taking away things from you. And so I look back because if you had followed sports maybe about three, four years ago, there was the argument made by the women's national team that they should be paid more or at least they should be paid at least more or equal to the men's national team right and some people looked at it looked at that and said oh that's wild i can't believe that i'm not with that why should they get equal or more and there's a reason for that so i did some googles you know google is everyone's friend and in 2016, according to the Wall Street Journal, women's national team soccer games generated $1.9 million in revenue. I'm sorry, $1.9 million more in revenue than men's games. And between 2016 to 2018, women's games generated $50.8 million in revenue compared to the men who generated $49.9 million in revenue. Now, that last comparison, I get it's a little less than a million dollars, right? Almost a full million, you know, round up it's a million. Um, but in both those cases, you have to say, oh, they're making more? They're bringing in more? They need to be paid more. That's how I feel about it, because it's all about leverage for me. You can never come to the money in a situation and what I mean by the money I mean anything so you know the label in music the owners in in professional basketball professional football things those type of people you can't go to the money and ask for a bigger share of it if you haven't generated a bigger share of what you used to generate it's about that leverage because at that point you can now say hey this money is up to the level because of me or because of us and therefore 
because you're making more, I need to make more. And if not, then you can just hang this up and then no one's going to make what they're making now. Right? It's a, it's a negotiation point. So, in the women's soccer team's situation, I fully believe they should get more money. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Literally no reason. They're doing more. They're making more. And when I say what I mean doing more, they're winning World Cups. I don't know about you. I don't know. I've been watching Olympic soccer. I've been watching World Cup soccer. I know what the men are not winning. (laughs) Gold medals and World Cups. You know what I mean? So at that point, you're accomplishing the top goal on the world stage and you're bringing in more money. Pay me. Has nothing to do with men or women. Pay me. You know, it's a larger effect on society and people think there's a whole bunch of girls playing soccer. Soccer gets gets more popular during the World Cups and Olympics in every country. And the better that country does, the more popular it becomes. Right? Pay me. I know who Megan Rapino is because she's out there on the pitch winning World Cups. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's the key for me. So to me, that situation, that part of the equation is very cut and dry. Now, where it gets foggier is when you get into the realm of women's basketball. Um, I'm going to preface this with my recollection of how things were going on when I was when I was younger. So I finally remember when the WNBA and the ABL first started. Um, we all know we all know the WNBA now, but the ABL was a rival league that I believe started before the WNBA. Um, and there was excitement generated everywhere for these women. Rightfully so. I mean, these were the best basketball players on the planet. You know, names like uh, Rebecca Lobo and Lisa Leslie and Don Staley and Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Swoops. My favorite literally was Cheryl Swoops. It was, it was the smoothest game I've seen someone play in forever. And it was pretty to watch to me. So, WNBA started. There was excitement everywhere. NBC TV contract. It was a big deal. And I remember the ABL started. Now, ABL didn't have that national team contract. I forget who they had the contract with. But the, I remember watching ABL games on TV, and they were crazy excited. Because, again, because they had started before the WNBA, they had, they had first access to some of the top-tier talent. So they didn't have everybody in the WNBA. But they had some players. Like, Dawn Staley was playing in WNBA. I mean, in the ABL at first. Katie Smith was in, was in the ABL. And to me, it was, in, it was exciting because it was, it was still professional basketball. You know, four quarters, 12 minutes, high scoring, high skill. I enjoyed it. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a sports nut. If y'all didn't know, I'm a sports nut. I will watch sports wherever I can, whenever I can, if it's on. Men's basketball, women's basketball, men's soccer, women's soccer. Listen, I found 
now I will already do this because um, when I used to coach high, high school football, um, some of the gentlemen I used to coach with, they had coached professional women's teams, women's football teams. Now a lot of people didn't know that professional women's football teams exist, and not that lingerie mess that you see. Like on, on, what was that, on MTV or what, on Spike or whatever the hell channel that was on. No, real 11 on 11, fully padded tackle football. So I knew it existed, but I never saw it. And it must have been last year or the year before that, that I was surfing channels and I just happened to find it on TV. And I sat there, I was watching the game. I'm critiquing the plays. I'm like, coach, what are you doing? Oh, run the sweep. You know, this is just me. I'm a sports guy. Um, so I remember the WA, the WNBA, excuse me, coming out that first game. I believe it was a Sparks. I forgot their opponent. It's one of the things that people remember about that game was that it was it was an opportunity for Lisa Leslie to dunk in the game, and she missed the dunk, and everybody was like, oh, I don't care anymore because she missed the dunk. But that wasn't it to me. I had issue with the WNBA because they told me they were a professional league and on their first nationally televised appearance, they're playing with college rules. College three-point line, two 20-minute halves. Didn't make sense to me. Because to me, if you're playing professional basketball, then you need professional rules. Your rules have to change. They have to be different, right? They're different in every other sport. Well, almost every other sport. Let me not misspeak before someone tries to crucify me for that. But, you know, you watch you, you, you watch college football, you know, if you catch a ball and you, you land with one foot inbounds, it's a catch. In the NFL, you need two feet inbounds for it to be a catch, right? It's, a, it's an extra level. College basketball, you play two halves. You usually play two 20-minute halves. You, can, you get into the NBA, 12-minute quarters, four quarters more time different rule change different shot clock like I, you expect that to be on that level so I was kind of disappointed because I'm thinking to myself why are they playing with college rules they're professionals like I, I thought that was disrespectful to the players because it didn't make sense to me but I was still excited and true story my I, I am a, a, a New York Knicks fan through and through, through I'm a Brooklyn boy I will never rock with the Nets because they're from Jersey. I don't care where they came to. They're the New Jersey Nets to me. Can't rock with it. That's how my fandom works. Hate me if you want. But the first basketball game that I ever saw in Madison Square Garden was not a Nick game. Because they were really good back then, so the tickets were really expensive. You know, it's just, they were still good then. This is the 90s I'm talking about. Um, my first basketball game in Madison Square Garden was a Liberty game. And I remember sitting there watching Saretha Weatherspoon, Kim Hampton, putting in work. Defensive stalwarts, man. Just, like, excited. I was excited. I remember my first game was the New York Liberty versus the Houston Comets. And I sat there. I went with my father. And... We had great seats, although I don't think there's ever a bad seat in Madison Square Garden, to be honest. And we sat there and had a ball. 
And even though the Liberty lost, I w- I walked away impressed by those women. Kim Parrott, the late Kim Parrott on the Houston Comets, masterful point guard. Cynthia Cooper, Tina Thompson, just it just just talented professional basketball. I loved it. And so I kept supporting, kept watching it when it was on. You know, Liberty in the Liberty in the WNBA finals, losing to the Comets. That hurt. It's like the Knicks all over again. But it's fine. <laughs> you see, I'm a little triggered. That's my that's my trauma. <laughs> but that's how that was. And as the years progressed, that popularity kind of stagnated. And to me, it always felt like they just didn't know how to market them. And when I mean by market them, let's go through a couple numbers, right? So... Currently, and this is in 20, as of November 5th, 2020, they said the WNBA generates about $60 million in revenue, while the NBA generates about $7.4 billion in revenue. Um, and that the average NBA salary is $7.7 million, whereas the, w, the, the average WNBA salary is a little over... A hundred and six, I'm sorry, a hundred thousand six hundred dollars a year, right? Hundred thousand dollars a year, six figures. Not true. It's not terrible by average person standards, but by professional standards, yeah, no, it's, it's not great. It's not great at all. And when you compare that to those NBA numbers, oh, that's peanuts, right? But then you have to go back to that revenue number. 60 million as opposed to 7.4 billion. And there have been many a WNBA player and some recently who have spoken out about the large contracts that the men get as opposed to them. And the first thing I say is, hey, they're both professionals. They should be paid like professionals. But then you get to the revenue question, right? And you have to ask yourself, okay, well, how much more can we pay them as opposed to what we make so that we're not fully in the red. See, when, you make, when, you, when you're making $7 billion in revenue, shoot, man, you, you, you could break everybody off a little bit of that, right? You, definitely. Everyone's, everyone's getting money hand over fist. They're getting mad, getting money. But as far as the women are concerned, because that money is not on that level, their salary's never going to get to that level. So we're not going to get what we want, right? Because again, I'm on the side of I want them paid more. I want them paid like professionals. I want them treated like professionals. And once you get to that point, then you have to ask yourself a question. All right, what can we do to make sure that they make more money? So that they, that they bring in more revenue. So that their salaries can therefore increase. Because the end game, that's what we want. Because to me, the travesty is when the revenue number is equal and the pay number is not. That's that's where the true travesty comes in. But 
until that revenue goes up, there's always going to be a reason for these people who might not want to pay them to not pay them. Or at least not raise it to a point where it should be under that revenue scale. So you got to ask yourself, what what needs to happen for the WNBA to make more money? Um, I forget who it was. It was either Shaq, I believe, that said to me something stupid like, oh, they should lower the rim so, you know, women can dunk and stuff like that. And I'm sitting here like, eh, eh, I don't know about that, man. That's pro- it's professional basketball. You lower that rim, that game is not professional in anyone's eyes anymore. You lower that. And to me, it's not about women dunking. I mean, yeah, on Sports Center, every say year and a half or so, do they not go completely wild because the next sensational woman that can dunk has emerged? You know. You know, first to me was Lisa Leslie, and there was Michelle Snow, and then there was um, Candace Parker, Brittany, uh, Brittany Griner after that. You know, that's all nice and good, but that's not the core of their game to me. I've seen showmanship on par with any other professional league in this world coming out of women's basketball. I remember sitting there watching the Sacramento Monarchs, their point guard, Tisha Pinachero, behind the back, passes, ankle breaking crossovers, everything like that. And that's what kept me watching. So in my mind, I'm like, hey, can y'all market your stars in a more... I don't know what the word for it is. Can you market the showmanship of your league? Can you open that up a little bit? Because the thing is, if you're not playing above the rim, if you're playing below the rim, then it's everything you do below the rim, right? We sit here, we watch Kyrie Irving cross up the world, and we will watch him cross up the world every night. We will watch Steph Curry shooting from half court, Damian Lillard shooting from beyond half court. We will watch that every day. We will watch those highlights every day. Right? We watch Trey Young doing the nutmeg, throwing the ball between people's legs every day. We will watch that every day. It's, it's dope to us every day. But you know what I don't see? I don't see the women's highlights. I don't see, the, I don't see those crossovers. You know, I mean, I love Allen Iverson. We all love Allen Iverson. But the one moment we all remember about Allen Iverson was him crossing up Michael Jordan. Right? I don't know what that WNBA moment is. And if it does exist, I haven't seen it. And that league is full of legit killers. And when I say that, I don't mean actually taking him in life. I mean, people that are a certified bucket. Certified. Diana Tarazi, certified bucket. Maya Moore, certified. Candace Parker, certified. You need you you need to score. They're here. They got you. But that showmanship is what's not pushed to the public. And I think that needs to change. 
in order to make it more popular. They need to see. I mean, we're acting like and one basketball wasn't a thing. Where people just be able to dribble, pass, and shoot with untold creativity didn't drive basketball into a different direction for a time. And I'm not saying they need to be they need to do ball tricks like that to do it, but there is a showmanship about the game that can be marketed through these women. I need to know who the face of the WNBA is. I don't know who that is. Do you? Yeah, we could name names, but there's no certified face. LeBron's been the certified face of the NBA for over a decade now. All the commercials, NBA Finals rolls around, they want him in there. You remember the the Kobe Bryant, LeBron puppet commercial, right? They wanted that so bad, even though it didn't happen. Because those guys were the face, and they made sure that the face was going to be in your face at all times. I don't know who that is for the WNBA, and that's on them. I know who the good players are because I just love basketball that much. And some of you are probably exactly the same. But you can't tell me who the face is. And so when I go back to women's college basketball, those same type of issues come there as well. Right? Because a lot of times women's basketball is not the money-making sport on campus. I didn't look up the UConn women's basketball team numbers, but I'd, I have to, I'd have to believe that they're out here making money though. UConn's women's basketball—it's like it's like a cult phenomenon. It's it's amazing what they've been able to do. Um, but every other team around the country is not like that. And so when you look at the NCAA and there's report that. For this year's tournament, the men's budget is triple the women's budget. They do that because they feel that they can bring in that much money or more through men's sports that they can't do the women's sports. Because that w- that's when you're talking dollars and cents. That's why you're not even taking in the social... Um, you're not even taking in the social dynamic of it. You're just talking about blatantly dollars and cents. And to me, if we want those other things to change, that has to change. So how do you change that? Because I know if anybody else has followed women's college basketball, there's a, there's a young lady on the University of Connecticut. Her name is Paige Beckers. I'll call her Paige Buckets. Phenomenal. Women's play, well, she's the women's player of the year as a freshman. Phenomenal. Right? You gotta make her the face of stuff. That goes into paying college athletes and things, but that's a different story for a different day. I don't get that deep because I've gone deep into sport right now. But I just want to end off by saying I believe that all these things are possible and all these things can change, but man, you've got to market it the right way. You've got to market the hell out of it. And I think that women's sports, they, they're not sure how to reach the fullness of their audience. I think they're, they know how to reach the, the hardcore elements of their audience and then nothing else. So until they saw that, 
you know, it, it's it's not going to change, in my opinion. Not because I don't want it to, but just because you can see what the people in control want. They want money. Um, you know, you could email me on this, tell me I'm right, tell me I'm wrong, tell me you disagree, tell me I'm nuts, whatever you want to do. But just think about it outside of you know getting outraged like we do on on Twitter and, and, and Facebook all day long yeah we should let that go too you gotta disconnect sometimes and that my friends brings me into today's epiphany now like I said earlier if you saw my thumbnail you kind of guessed what I really wanted to talk about today uh, Brother Jackson Derek Jackson is his name I hate the way that they spell his last name I can't stand it I mean I, No I just can't stand it It has nothing to do with him I just saw it one day and I was like oh that's lazy But <laughs> J-A-X-N It's like a video game character um, <laughs> But we're talking about Mr. Derrick Jackson because Mr. Derrick Jackson got exposed not too recently. Um, if you don't know who this gentleman is, Derrick Jackson is a, I guess, self-proclaimed relationship expert. He's pretty much known for sitting in his car, posting videos on Facebook, telling women exactly what they want to hear. And that's why a lot of men have been anti-Mr. Jackson. Not because he's giving game away or making sure that those who have been mistreated know that what they need to know so that that never happens again. No, no, it's, it's more like they feel he's been throwing men, especially black men, under the bus. And again, telling women whatever they want to hear to make their situ- make them feel better about their situations and I don't think no one wants that because that's pandering and I don't think anyone necessarily wants to get pandered to so if you saw a whole bunch of black dudes posting with enjoyment about this that's really where it came from um, I'm not fully in that camp I saw Mr. Jackson's videos quite a while ago and I was just, I was over it when I saw it. I was just like, oh, this is what you're doing. Cool. I moved along. Because to me, it was like in the same vein of, of like the Steve Harvey books and stuff like that. Where these, 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 these people come along and tell you, oh, I've got all the answers. I'm going to make it sound good too. Everything, everything is good for a quote, a hashtag, or a soundbite. Everything. No matter what I say, it's good. Hashtag that. Um, and to me, it always comes across as, pe- is, is that old school term. It's like snake oil salesman. They just tell you whatever you want to hear. They know what your hopes and dreams are. Right? And so all you have to do is reinforce your hopes and dreams, and it'll be okay. And you'll go, and you'll spend money, and you'll buy their books and whatever else that they have or they're selling. And so... The thing that happened was Mr. Jackson got exposed for cheating on his wife. 
and the internet went nuts. All the memes. All the memes. Crying Jordan faces. Crying Derek Jackson faces. Everything. Everything. Um, and then came the day that he decided to jump on YouTube with his wife. Man, I tell you, I saw that video. First thing I thought was, oh, she's a hostage. Right? It, it, it felt like he said, oh, they about to mess the money up. Babe, come here. I need you right quick. I know you hate me right now, but yo, just just, just hold me down right now. Let's make sure this money is still good. That's what it felt like to me. And it's always crazy, right, how whenever people get in trouble, especially these dudes, they get in trouble. And the first place they go is they run to the church, start telling you about their faith, how they had to talk with God. Man, if it was only that, if life was only that easy, right, for you to do something wild and then come back, tell somebody about your faith, how you had a conversation with the Lord, everything's fine now, don't worry about it, keep spending that money like you used to. Like, I only, if it only was that easy. Um, his wife was on there. I have nothing bad to say about this lady. I'm not going to do that. She decided to come on camera with the bonnet. Listen, shout out to the girls with the bonnets. Listen, keeping their hair wavy, keeping it silky. We know what you're doing. Um, y'all killed her for the bonnet. Teach is on. But the sticking point for me was when he decided to make a video critiquing the video with his wife like he didn't make it. He sat there talking in the third person. Oh, I know what a bunch of y'all would say about Derek Jackson, but I tell you that I believe him. Sir, you are him. What are you talking about? And so that happened. I said, oh, this brother is a grade A narcissist. Like, it wasn't even in jest. It, there was nothing funny about it. And to make it worse, he tried to pull an eight mile on us. And, I, and that's when I got insulted. I was completely insulted. Because I sat there and said, oh, you be rabbit now? Oh, I'm Clarence. I'm Papa Doc. Because he decided to sit there and try to tell us everything bad we were going to say about him based on what he admitted that he did. And that somehow that was going to take the power away from the rest of us from clowning him. Yeah. <laughs> and bro, that's clown behavior if I ever saw it. So, I was good on Derek Jackson. I don't know how the rest of y'all feel, but if you still spending money on this dude stuff... I got a bridge I can show you. And with that, I kind of want to go to the inverse, right? Because there's another brother who's out here in social media airwaves talking that talk that a lot of women, especially black women, are not okay with. And that brother is the second gentleman in my thumbnail, Mr. Kevin Samuels. Um, Kevin Samuels is pretty much known for telling women what they can't have, right? 
Um, well, let me walk you through this because that's a very vague assessment. You know what I mean? If you ever seen Kevin Samuel's show, these women, black women, some men, some white women, call his show where he guides them through a process, his, his own tailored process of looking for what they look for in a mate, right? What are their goals? What are they looking to find in a mate? As opposed to what they offer that prospective mate. So what happens is a, a woman will call his show. They'll get to talking. He'll ask, you know, what difficulties are you having or what are you looking for in a man? And these women will sit there and tell him, Oh, I'm having trouble doing this. I've been dating these bum dudes. Oh, I do this, this, and this. I'm the CEO of this. I, I do real estate. And I believe I should be able to get or have a high-value man. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or, the, or these dudes who have called will sit there and say, Oh, I'm this or that. I believe I should be able to get a woman who looks like this. Right? And then Kevin walks them down this familiar path. He always guides you right back into this bottleneck, right? He asks you how old you are, especially for the women, especially for the women. He asks you how old you are. You know, what's your age? How many kids do you have, right? Then he gets into, like, you know, the, the, the how much you weigh. He gets into the more shallow aspects of things. How much you weigh. There have been times where he's asked um, these women to grade themselves physically on a scale of 1 to 10 as far as looks are concerned, right? And based on those answers, he will then assess their capability in finding, acquiring, attracting a quote-unquote high-value man. Now, I've seen some of these videos and Yes, Kevin Samuel speaks violence, yo. He, he, it's not a, it's not a sugar-coated conversation. And I don't think it's more so that he hates women or hates black women, but I think he hates a little bit ignorance, right? I think he's a guy that, and follow me on this comparison, if he walked into a church and they were preaching the prosperity gospel, he'd walk out because it's a lot, you know, it's really not real in that regard. Um, you can challenge me if you want, but I'm just saying. Creflo Dollar and them got way more money than you ever had. Moving along. Um. So yeah, it's not a smooth conversation. It's not. It's not a cheerful conversation. And what he says to these women, you know, he says, "Oh, you know, you." Are this tall and you weigh this much and you have two kids the type of man that you that you say you want isn't gonna want you now yes there can be outliers I'm not gonna sit there and say that that's an impossible thing but more often than not that's kind of true it's kind of true some of the dudes I heard call that show I mean, these dudes sound dusty. Sound completely dusty. I 
if I have sisters, homegirls, whatever, I'd be like, yo, this is the type of dude you got to avoid. Because they're delusional. Right? Some of the things that they're asking for while not having what they should have is bananas to me. Right? Some of these dudes are 36, 37 years old living a 20-year-old man's life. They don't have their own spot. They're living in the mother's basement. Only make a certain amount of money. But then you're talking about wanting a woman who's going to want certain things from you that you can't provide at all. It's nonsense. So I get, especially now, given the type of climate that we live in, speak in, believe in, where everyone wants everything that they believe they should have. There's no reason why I can't get this. There's no reason why I can't have that. But the reality of those situations for men and women is that, yeah, there's a lot of things that if you didn't plan for it, if you didn't take adequate action for it, if you made the wrong missteps during a certain point in time, you have to then close the door on whatever it is that you think, believe that you want. And that's facts. 100%. And that goes for everybody. It goes for everybody. There are things that you want. There are people that you want that if you didn't do certain things prior to that, those doors are closed. You know what I mean? If you want a certain type of woman, gorgeous, model-like, thick, big booty, ultra successful, whatever, and you're walking around, you you broke, you out of shape. She's not gonna look at you. It's not gonna happen. So as much as as much vitriol as he's received, I understand him a little bit more than Derek Jackson. But the issue with him is that, hey. your message is not delivered in a certain way it's going to be heavily rejected so that's what happens there all in all in today's epiphany and I kind of want to close out with this right as far as relationships are concerned no one's path to a relationship no one's path within the relationship is perfect everyone's relationship situation is unique there is not a cookie cutter situation to get you the relationship that you want there are people that will tell you that they couldn't fathom being with the person that they're with right now they couldn't see it Whoever that made is right now was a type of person that was never on their radar before. Right? That's life. That is relationship. That is love. That is all those things. It, encomp- it, 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 it encompasses. <laughs> I got caught up there, man. I need some water. It encompasses all those things. Right? So at your peril going to these quote unquote relationship experts 
who are either going to tell you everything that you're not or tell you you can have everything you want is not being fair to you you see I I've worked with a ton of women I have a bunch of women who I call friends of mine dear people love y'all shout out to y'all um and I remember all the conversations we used to have you know in those younger years about dating and relationships and I know the one thing that used to be a constant with me when they were actually questions about stuff or why do dudes do this this and that and I would always tell them well number one I can't tell you what to do I can't tell you how this is gonna go or I can't speak for the other those other dudes those other gentlemen can't speak for them because everyone's situation is different who am I should they tell you what 30 other dudes are thinking can't so I don't know why you think these dudes can too or those women can too yeah obviously there are you know a few things that these people can actually mention to you but that's about it I mean, you see I'm going over time, man. The music done left. <laughs> uh, so again, in closing, man. Live your lives. Listen to some old heads. If you see somebody who's done the, the right thing, who's living the way you like to live, ask them what their journey was like. Don't ask them what to do. Just ask them what their journey was like. Take their brain that way. I want to thank y'all for joining me one more again on this podcast. I enjoy doing it. I, I enjoy y'all to listen. I want to thank y'all for coming through and being a part of this. Uh, if you want to hit me, we're on Instagram. Okay, you can holler at me at Urban Epiphany Pod on Instagram. You can hit me on Twitter at the UE Pod. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you want me to talk about. If there's anything that's on your minds that you feel that, you know, just need some air time. I'm with it. Love y'all. Wish y'all peace. Take care.